about nine years ago, my uh, wife was, uh, she, she left the house to run some errands, and she had our nine-month-old son, Jameson, with her. She went out, she was gone for a few hours, and she came back, she pulled into the driveway, and you know how sometimes if you're listening to like a radio program, you sit in the driveway for a few minutes and just finish it out. So she sat in the driveway, she's listening to the end of this radio story. Uh, when the story's over, she gets out of the car, she picks up our nine-month-old Jameson, and she walks into the house. She puts Jameson down on the floor in the family room to crawl around, and she starts to walk back to the kitchen. But as she starts to walk back to the kitchen, she notices that something isn't exactly right. She notices that our closet is open, and some coats had been strewn about on the floor, and some other items from the closet were being, had been thrown around. She notices that, and then she looks over, and there's a cabinet in our dining room, and, and that cabinet had been opened, and the stuff that was in the drawers had been pulled out and was discarded on the floor. She thought, that's weird. And then she noticed that in, even in the kitchen area, some of the cabinets had been opened, and things had been taken out, and then some of the furniture had been moved, and some of it was turned over, and it clicked for her in that moment that someone had been in our house. So she immediately turns around, runs back to the family room, picks up Jameson, runs out into the front yard, calls the police, calls me. I happened to be right down the street working that day. So I got there before the police. The police came and they secured the house. And then they invited us in to do an inventory because somebody had broken into our home. Now, after this event, I got a burglar alarm put on our home. I got a security door put on the back. I got some bolt locks that I put on the doors in in the back where the break-in had happened. But of course, that was all after the robbery instead of before the robbery. Uh, And the reason is because I didn't anticipate getting robbed. I didn't plan for somebody to come to our house and take our stuff. They took our computers and a little bit of jewelry and some family heirlooms, my dad's watch they took. I was like, that was the thing I was really mad about. But they, they, they took all this stuff, and the reason they were able to do it is because we weren't prepared. We weren't ready. Now, if I had known they were coming, um, we could have gotten some things ready in advance. We could have put the security alarm on. We could have had the security door. We could have had the bolt locks. I would have invited a couple of our guest assistance team members to join me and maybe some police officers as we waited and watched for the burglars to come. But we were not ready. Uh, We've all had these experiences in life, maybe not that dramatic, but we've all had experiences where something arose that we weren't prepared for, that we weren't ready for, right? So maybe for you, you maybe you got in a car accident and your insurance wasn't up to date. Or you, somebody in your family suddenly took ill and you weren't ready for it. Or, you know, maybe your teacher or your professor decides to give a pop quiz that day and you hadn't read the chapter, right? Or you go out for a walk and suddenly there's a downpour, you don't have an umbrella. Or you go camping, I've done this before, and you get there out in the woods and you forgot the matches and you can't have the fire. We've all had this experience before in some way where something happened that we were not ready for. Today, I want to talk about a different kind of readiness. Today, we are in our very last session of the Kingdom Agenda series. And today, I want to title this this session, When the King Comes Back. When the King Comes 
back. In this series, we've explored the reality that Christ is our king. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, Christ is our king, right? And we honor him and we worship him and he, he's the Lord of our life. And we've also explored what his kingdom looks like. And we explored the reality that his kingdom is the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. In other words, his jurisdiction is everything that is submitted to his kingship. Our life, when we are submitted to him as our king, becomes a part of his kingdom, right? We learned last week that he calls us his ambassadors, that we are here on the earth as followers of Jesus to expand and extend his kingdom on the earth, to represent God's kingdom in the kingdom of the earth. And as Jesus wraps up this teaching about the kingdom and what that looks like, he ends with this declaration, this promise. And the promise is one day the king will come back. One day the king will return. Now, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, this can sound like a kind of a crazy concept. Like, are you talking about the end of time? Are you talking about like the, the, the whatever you want to call it, Armageddon, the end? Yes, this is what Jesus says in his word. He says that he's going to someday come back. He's put us on this earth to expand and extend his kingdom. But one day he's going to come back and, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He said he's going to bring all nations together. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will come before him. And he will be the king and the ruler and the judge over all of the earth. And this is, this is his promise to his disciples. This is his promise to us. In fact, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, At that time, you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of glory. It's going to be this amazing and glorious event. And, and, and when these things begin to happen, stand up. He says, and lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. What he says is, one day I will come and set the world straight. I will bring peace. I will bring justice. I will bring judgment. I will bring uh, uh, joy. I will bring power. I will come and set the world right. I will make things right. Uh, Many Christians over the centuries have heard this promise, studied this promise, thought about this promise, and they've had different reactions to it. Like, what does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to actually think about the reality that one day Jesus will return? One day the king will come back. He promised that he would. What does that look like for us? What does that mean for us? Different Christians over the years have have responded differently to this promise. One response historically among some Christians when they really begin to think about this is to withdraw. They pull away from the world. They pull away from culture. They pull away from society. They withdraw from politics. They withdraw from uh, uh, any of the pleasures of the world. They renounce the world around them and they sort of cut themselves off. They become sort of tribal. Um, These are sort of apocalyptic movements. You may have heard of them where they really focus on the Lord's return. And so in so doing, they they believe that it's their duty to to pull away. There was a, a group in the 1700s called the Shakers in Maine. Um, and the Shakers, this was their, this is what they did. They, they believed that Jesus was coming back so soon and they felt like we just need to pull away and like just renounce the world around us. They renounced all earthly pleasure. They even renounced um, between man and wife. They renounced sexual activity between man and wife and they just withdrew from everything, right? So inevitably, they, at, at their peak, they were 6,000 members um, but as of 2009, I think there are only three of them left. Um, this is what happens when we withdraw from all of life as followers of Jesus. 
So that's not recommended. Um, so they, they withdrew, right? Another thing that people do, and consciously or unconsciously, if they think that, that when Jesus comes back that nothing matters, they end up just sort of wasting their life. They don't, they don't pursue the gifts and the strengths that God has given them. They don't make any long-term plans. They don't try to accomplish anything. They just think, well, you know, I'm just going to go along for the ride. God's coming back. None of this matters. And I'm just going to, you know, they might not consciously say it, but that you look at the fruit of their life and it's just a, a, a spent in trivial and meaningless pursuits, right? Another approach, response to the promise that Jesus is going to come back is worry. Now, this is one that I, ha- that I have a particular affinity with because when I was a kid, um, a lot of uh, preachers and evangelists would come through our church and they would really preach about the end times and about the rapture and about Armageddon. Did anybody else grow up in an environment, anything like that, right? And man, it was scary. It was scary. It was terrifying. And they would like ratchet it up to see who could preach the scariest sermon about Jesus coming back. And everybody would run to the altar at the end and you know, repent and weep. And, 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 and they, would, they would pull out these charts that look something like this. And they would be like, right? And they would get it all figured out. And they would say, well, if you take the numbers and you turn them upside down and reverse them and put some fuzzy logic to it, we know that Christ will be coming back on X, Y, and Z. And so you better get ready because it might be tonight, you know? And, um, and it might be, but... I don't know about that, but, um, but that, that's, that's the way they did. And, and, and Christians over the centuries have done this. This is not a new phenomenon. Um, the early church fathers, a few of the early church fathers predicted that Christ would come back in the year 500 AD. And these are Irenaeus and Sextus and some of these big time church fathers actually, you know, you know they promoted this idea. They said, he's going to come back in 500 AD. Um, that didn't happen. So uh, Pope Sylvester II said, you know what? Jesus is coming back in the year 1000. And so that was his prediction, and he really believed that, and he really, you know, he really leaned in on that. Um, a few years later, a German monk and mathematician, Michael Stiefel, said that uh, Jesus is going to come back at 8 a.m. on October 19, 1533. So this is a mathematical precision that he had. You got to appreciate. I don't know how he got that, but somehow he d- did the did the math. Um, more recently, and some of you won't remember this, but some of you will. A book came out. And I remember I was a kid. It said, it was called The 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Some of you are like, yes, and I'm still recovering from that. <laughs> um, when that didn't happen, uh, this guy, Weisen, Weisenhunt, uh, wrote another book called The 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place. That one didn't sell as well in 1989. But um, more recently, uh, there was a, a guy, a pastor named Brother Harold Camping, and he preached that God would come back in May of 2011. And then he provided these very helpful billboards. Save the date. It says, return of Christ, May 21st, 2011. So over the years, some people have heard this promise that Christ is going to return and it's become a source of worry and fear and prognosticating and hand-wringing and predicting and trying to figure out, you know, when exactly this is going to happen. But what Jesus says about his return is incredibly refreshing and incredibly useful and incredibly helpful to us. And he doesn't say that we should withdraw from the world. And he doesn't say that we should waste our life. And he doesn't say that we should spend our time worrying. I'm going to read you what he says. It's really powerful. In Matthew chapter 24, he says, but about that day or hour, Nobody knows. So the first thing he says is all of this predicting and prognosticating and all this, 
Don't mess around with that. Nobody knows when this is going to happen. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. He says, I am going to come back, but nobody knows when it's going to happen. Therefore, he says, here's what I want you to do. Keep watch. He said, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Then he says, understand this. And this is, this is where it starts to hit home. If the owner of the house had known at what time the, the thief was going to come, and if he would have kept watch, right, and would have let his, he would not have let his house be broken into, he would have had the bolts on, he would have had the alarm on, he would have had, right? So he says this, so you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So he's saying, don't waste your life. Don't withdraw from the world. Don't spend your time worrying, but I do want you to keep watch. This is what I'm calling you to do until the king comes back. So the question arises for us immediately. What does that mean? What does it mean for you and I to keep watch? Like, does that mean we just keep, you know, looking up to the sky and try to figure out, you know, like if and when he's coming and all that? What does it mean to keep watch, right? The, the word actually means to stay awake. That's what the literal meaning of the word is in the, in the New Testament, to stay awake. And what Jesus does is absolutely brilliant. So I would, what I would love for you to do today when you go home, grab your Bible and read Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew 25. Because what Jesus does in these two chapters is absolutely stunning. He says, keep watch. And then in Matthew 25, he gives three stories in quick succession that tell us combined precisely what it means for us to keep watch. What does it look like for us to keep watch? And the first thing he says is watchfulness means stay filled with the Spirit. This is what watchfulness means. Number one, to stay filled with the Spirit. My wife and I have this sort of ongoing sort of joke kind of debate about the best timing for filling up our respective gas tanks in our cars. Has anybody ever had those discussions with your spouse where like when you're supposed to actually... So we found a graphic that actually describes kind of our approaches. Um, these are two kinds of people. This is Rebecca over here. It's on empty. She says, I can drive 10 more miles, right? In fact, Rebecca will choose a car based on how long you can drive after it says empty, right? <laughs> and, the, and the longer you can drive, the better the car. So I'm more on this end, better get gas now, right? Even when it's three quarters full. So these different philosophies that we have have led to different results. Um, one of the results is that I keep a gas can on hand at all times for the phone calls I occasionally receive from my wife on the side of the road saying, hi, honey, um, are you busy? <laughs> Would you mind? So, um, and then I come with the gas can and that's when I try to reintroduce my philosophy and say, now, you know... Um, Right, uh, it doesn't work. But um, it caught up with me the other day because I was driving home from the office here, right here on the loop. And I was on my way home and I, we just live right here in University City, right off of Midland. And um, I'm driving home and I guess I had been distracted the, for you know, prior few days or whatever. Because as I'm driving, the car goes dead. I am completely out of gas while I'm driving. I look down, three, three blanks on the gauge, gone, right? And I thought, oh no. I didn't think, oh no, I'm in trouble. I ran out of gas. I thought, oh no, how do I keep Rebecca from knowing that I ran out of gas 
because I don't want to lose credibility and moral superiority in this moment, and I just got to... So, um, so, but as I run out of gas, by God's grace, I happen to be going at a fairly good clip already. So I thought, I wonder if I could glide this baby all the way home, right? So I'm on Del Mar. I pass the Lions. I pass Mooney Park. I'm still going. I get to Midland, which is my street now. I'm slowing down pretty good at Midland. But by God's grace, the light was green. There were no cars. So I just crank a hard right on Midland. Don't touch the brake. And Midland has got a nice slope to it, if you've ever noticed. So now I'm like, I'm picking up speed. Car's dead. I'm in neutral. I've shifted down. And I'm picking up speed down Midland. I'm like, this might actually work. So now I'm flying down Midland. And I get to my street, and it's another right. I crank another right. I turn. There are no pedestrians. There are no dogs. Nobody in the street. No construction. My car is cruising along, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And sure enough, I pull up, and I'm able to just pull right into the driveway with the car completely dead and out of gas. So, yes. So, yes. So, of course, I jump out of my car, sneak around to the garage, get the gas can, put a gallon in, and then walk into the house like, hey, no big deal. Nobody saw anything. Not a problem, right? I didn't want her to find out. Uh, God is saying to us, Jesus is saying to us, look, I want you to stay filled. If we want our cars to work, we need to keep them full. We need to keep them full of gas. We need to keep them full uh, of fuel. And Jesus is saying to us, I want your soul to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want you running on fumes. I don't want you running, you know, uh, just, just gliding when I come back. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. And he, and he proclaims this through a story that he tells. And, and the story is this. He says, the kingdom of God, and this is the first of the three stories. The kingdom of God will be like ten virgins who took their lamps, and these are bridesmaids, uh, took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were, fi- were wise. It says the foolish ones... Um, uh, if you go to the next slide, the foolish ones uh, took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil. Now, whenever Jesus is talking about oil in the New Testament, it's a metaphor for the Spirit. And he's saying their lamps were filled with oil and I want your souls to be filled with the Spirit. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars with their lamps. Then the story goes on and it says that the, the, the foolish ones that had no had no oil in their lamps, had no spirit in their soul. When the bridegroom came back, when the bridegroom came at midnight, they all woke up and they said, here comes the bridegroom. And the five that had the oil were able to go into the wedding banquet. And the five that did not tried to run out and buy some oil and they missed the wedding banquet. And Jesus is saying in this story, he's saying, have your spirit full. Keep full of the spirit. Have yourself full of the spirit. What he means here is spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the company of fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Fill up your tank. Spend time. Come to church and have your tank filled. Get into a group and, and, and have, your, have the Spirit fill you up. Spend time in his presence. Soak in his presence. Saturate yourself in his presence because I want you to be full of the Spirit when I come back. That's what it means to be watchful. It means to be full of the Spirit. Because when you are full of the Spirit, you are faithful in action. When you're not full of the Spirit, you, 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 you're, just, you're just gliding on fumes. But when you're full of the Spirit, he says, you can be faithful in action. He tells a second story. The second story is the story of the talents. 
I've told this story many times. You guys have heard it many, many times. And he tells the story of a very rich man who goes out on a journey. And he's got one, he gives gold to his servants. He gives one five bags of gold and one two bags of gold and one one bag of gold. And he says, I'm going away on a journey and, and then I'll be back. Exactly what Jesus says to, to us. And so he goes on this journey and the one that had the five bags of gold, he invests it and he doubles the money. And the one with two bags, he invests it and he doubles the money. But one with one bag, it says he dug a hole in the ground. He put the bag of money in there and he covered it over. It says after a long time, he, the, the man came back and he says, what have you done with, with my treasure? What have you done with the talent, with the, the gifts that I've given you? And the first one says, you know, I, I doubled it. And the second one says, yeah, I, I doubled it too. And the third one says, uh, I was scared and I didn't know what to do, so I just buried it. And I didn't do anything with the talents and the skills and the strengths and the gifts that you gave me. Jesus turns to the first two and he says, well done. Well done, you guys. Good and faithful servants. He says, uh, uh, you've, you've been faithful, right? You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. But then he turns to the one who wasted his life. And he says, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to take the bag from you and I'm going to give it to the one that has 10 bags. And he sends that one into, the scripture says, outer darkness. What Jesus is saying is, watchfulness means being faithful in action. It means taking the gifts and the strengths and the skills and the abilities that God has given each and every one of you and putting them to work. Discovering them and putting them to work with what God has given you so that when he comes back, you can say, here's what I've been doing, Lord. Here's what I've been doing with the gifts and the strengths and the talents that you gave me. This, this uh, April, in, in April, we're having a dream team party for all of our dream team members. And I just want to say that I am so grateful for all of the members of our dream team in this church. 170-something people serve at least once a month somewhere in this church. And what they're doing is discovering their gifts, discovering their strengths, discovering their talents, and then putting them to use for the good of others and for the glory of God. And Jesus is saying that's what it means to be watchful. It means to be faithful in your action. It means to take the things that God has given you and put them to work and put them into action, and to bring some good about. Not for your benefit solely, right? Not just to accrue a benefit to yourself, but to help your brothers and sisters in Christ, to help the stranger, to help all of those around you, to help those in need. And that's where he brings in the third story because he says, I want you to be full of compassion, right? I want you to not just be filled with the Spirit, not just faithful in action, but I want you to be I want you to be filled with compassion, to be full of compassion. This afternoon, um, I'm actually going to be meeting with one of the leaders of the Syrian refugee community that is here in St. Louis that live, a lot of them live right up on Skinker. Um, You may or may not know this, but last year uh, in 2016, with your gifts and with your offerings and with your generosity, we gave thousands of dollars to this community of people who were strangers and who came in to, uh, uh, to our country and who are trying to you know, come, come from a very bad region, a very you know, tough region. And they are, uh, uh, we've helped them with food and with clothes and with shelter. Thousands of dollars that you have given. You did that to some of the least of, 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 of those who are in need. 
you may not know or you may know, and you can find out if you come to the business meeting um, afterwards, but, but you've given thousands of dollars uh, to, to, to help the, um, the homeless in our, in our community. Um, you've done that. You've given thousands of dollars to help feed thousands of people through Operation Food Search in our community. You guys have done that. This, this, this church is full of compassion. This is part of who we are. You've given to Man of Valor Ministries and Young Life and all of these to help teenagers in our community, to help them grow and to give them strength and to give them support. You've done that. You've been full of compassion. Jesus tells this story. He says, listen, I'm gonna come back. This is the third story, the last story that he tells. He says, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna, I'm, as the king, and I'm gonna sit down on the throne and I'm gonna bring together all of the nations. He says, and then I'm gonna separate them like, like a shepherd does with sheep and the goats. And I'm gonna put the sheep over on one side and I'm gonna put the goats on the other side. And he says, and I'm gonna turn to the sheep and I'm gonna say to them, I'm gonna say, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was a stranger, you took me in. And when I was sick, you came and you cared for me. And when I was a prisoner, you came and you looked after me and you visited me. And he said, the sheep are gonna turn to him and say, when did we do this? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you without clothes? When did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison? And here's what he's gonna say. The king will reply, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of your brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. He said, you know, every time that you reach out with compassion and you serve those that are in need and you serve those that are less fortunate, you are serving me. What does it mean to be watchful? It means to be filled with his spirit. It means to be faithful in action. And it means to be full of compassion. That's what it means to watch. It doesn't mean to be worried or withdrawn or to waste our life. It means to pour out our life for others, to be filled up so that we can pour ourselves out. If you want a life of fulfillment, church, a, a true life of power and strength and meaning and fulfillment in your life, you have to give your life away. This is what Jesus says. If you want to find it, you got to lose it. If you want to get it, you got to give it away. You've got to pour it out. This is what it means to be watchful. This is what it means for us to do what Jesus is calling us to do as we await for his ultimate return. So here's what I would love for you to imagine with me. Imagine if, if you can, if you would, every single child in our community has a place to stay, a safe place. They've got enough food in their belly. They've got people around them that are safe, and that love them, and that guide them, and lead them, and take care of them. Imagine every single homeless man and woman on our streets having a roof over their head, having food, having some training, having some, some help with, what, if it's a mental health issue, or addiction issues, or whatever has driven them out onto the street. Imagine all of them bring, you know, coming into a safe environment. Imagine every teenage boy in our community being surrounded by some men who can love them and guide them and lead them and support them. Imagine every teenage girl in our community being surrounded by moms and sisters who can help guide them and show them and comfort them and provide a, an ear for them. Um, imagine that kind of a world because that is the world that Jesus is calling us to build while he's away. 
And he's calling us to build that by being filled with his spirit, by being faithful in our action, and by being full of compassion, by pouring ourselves out for him. This is what he's calling us to do, and this is what he's calling us to be. This is what watchfulness really, really looks like. So church, I would just say to all of us today, let us not withdraw from the world. Let us not waste our talents and our time and our money on trivial and meaningless pursuits. Let us not spend our time worrying about the future and what's going to happen. But let us, as a community, be filled with his spirit, be faithful in our action, and be full of compassion. Because this is what Christ is calling us to do while he's away. Because some great and glorious day, our king really will return. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, your word is is powerful and it's sharp as a two-edged sword and cuts even into the very into the very uh, bone and, and, and marrow of our lives and God I pray that today it would be a it would be a scalpel that removes obstructions that removes the things that keep us from you that it would remove our own hard-heartedness and our own self-centeredness uh, and our own dryness and it would, Lord, it would create a, a space in us where we would just open our hearts to you, open our minds to you. God, I pray that every single person here be filled with your spirit today. Just be filled with your spirit. To know what that, ex- that experience is like, to be filled with your love and your mercy, your grace. And Lord, I pray that every single one of us here today would be inspired and motivated, Lord, by your word to be faithful in action, to find ways to serve, to find ways to to spend our time and our skills enhancing other people's lives and bringing good to them and glory to you. Father, I pray that every single one of us today, Lord, would, would, would know what it's like to be filled with compassion, that we would look at those who are struggling and suffering and that we would feel what they feel, that we would experience what they experience, Lord, and that we might give freely of ourselves to them, our time, our money, our skills, our abilities, that we might be filled with compassion. Let us, Lord, as a community, pour ourselves out for this world around us. Let us build your kingdom. Let us pursue your agenda because you are our king. We are your ambassadors and we are here, Lord, to expand your kingdom until the king comes back. Father, I just pray that every single person here today would be moved in their heart and transformed in their heart by your word. That all of us, Lord, would be one step closer to you as a result of what we have heard this morning. And that we would take whatever step that is uh, called of us to take in our lives. Move us, Lord, one step closer to you. That you may be honored and that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.